This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Moromai, this is Judith Lay welcoming you to a specially extended edition of our regular Sunday morning programme dedicated to the memory of the late Queen Elizabeth II, our Lord of Man. For the next hour, I am at your service as we reflect on the deep faith that sustained and guided the late Queen through the changing fortunes of the last 70 years. You will hear the voices of King Charles III, the Prime Minister Liz Truss and the Bishop of London and Dean of the Chapel's Royal, the Right Reverend Dame Sarah Mullally. And, closer to home, some reflections from Reverend Dr Janet Corlett, leader of the Methodist Church on the island, the Lord Bishop of Soder and Man, the Right Reverend Peter Eagles, and Monsignor John Devine, the island's senior Roman Catholic priest. And there'll be music. We'll start with the hymn sung on Friday evening in St Paul's Cathedral at the service of prayer and reflection in thanksgiving for the life of Queen Elizabeth II.
In these days since the announcement of the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, our Lord of Man, countless words have been written and spoken in our best yet somehow inadequate attempts to express our admiration, our gratitude and our massive sense of loss at the passing of this truly remarkable woman. At the age of 96 and with health issues which over the past year reduced the number of engagements she could attend in person, the death of the Queen was intellectually inevitable but somehow still a shock and certainly a cause of great sadness. It's just a sad day for us all today and we've all known just one Queen. She's she's a person we've always looked up to. It's a very, very sad day. What an amazing, amazing life, amazing woman. That's all I can say, really. If uh, we had more people like her in the world, the world would be a better place, wouldn't it? It strangely feels like a death of a family member. It's really quite unusual. She's been a role model for so many people, so many people. Old-fashioned values, everything that we could ever have wanted and more besides. Humility, respect, dignity the old-fashioned values that she brought into the modern society, and I hope that people will cherish those and take them forward into the future. She was the longest reigning monarch in British history and the longest reigning female monarch in the world, and for most of us has been part of the very fabric of our life, which is why I think we feel her passing so keenly. We recognise, even if we can't find the words, that she stood for something so much more than herself. Throughout her life, the Queen has looked in two directions, upwards to God and outwards to her people. As Princess Elizabeth, broadcasting on the radio on her 21st birthday in April 1947, she publicly declared that hers was to be a life of service. I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have the strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. Six months before her coronation, again the Queen asked the people of the United Kingdom to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. And on her coronation day in 1953, Almost 30 million people worldwide watched a ceremony which so powerfully pointed in one direction. The Queen was vowing to serve her people as a servant of God. But there was one part of the service which was considered too sacred to be broadcast and was witnessed only by those directly involved in it. Handel's anthem Zadok the Priest was sung, all the symbols of the Queen's status were removed. 
the crimson velvet robe, the diamond crown and the coronation necklace. The priceless swords, scepters and the orb were laid aside and then, stripped of all this stunning symbolism, the Archbishop of Canterbury anointed the Queen with holy oil, pouring it over her head, her hands and her chest to show that she was being set apart to serve and love her people in all her actions, with all her heart and with all her mind. In that commitment, she followed the example of Jesus Christ, who came to earth not to be served, but to serve. And it was a commitment that she embodied until the day she died. After the coronation ceremony, royal biographer William Shawcross wrote, It was the moment when the holy oil was applied to her, rather than her crowning with St. Edward's crown of solid gold, that was of supreme importance for the Queen. Indeed, it was the most solemn and important moment of her entire life. In his first address after the death of the Queen, King Charles made direct references to his mother's faithfulness to this promise. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. In 1947, on her 21st birthday, she pledged in a broadcast from Cape Town to the Commonwealth to devote her life, whether it be short or long, to the service of her peoples. That was more than a promise. It was a profound personal commitment which defined her whole life. She made sacrifices for duty her dedication and devotion as sovereign never wavered through times of change and progress, through times of joy and celebration, and through times of sadness and loss. In her life of service, we saw that abiding love of tradition, together with that fearless embrace of progress Christmas 1957 was a good example of the late Queen's fearless embrace of progress. For the first time, her Christmas message was televised. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. It's inevitable that I should seem a rather remote figure to many of you. Someone whose face may be familiar in newspapers and films but who never really touches your personal lives. But now, at least for a few minutes, I welcome you to the peace of my own home. That it's possible for some of you to see me today 
is just another example of the speed at which things are changing all around us. Because of these changes, I'm not surprised that many people feel lost and unable to decide what to hold on to and what to discard, how to take advantage of the new life without losing the best of the old. But it's not the new inventions which are the difficulty. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. They would have religion thrown aside, morality in personal and public life made meaningless, honesty counted as foolishness, and self-interest set up in place of self-restraint. At this critical moment in our history, we will certainly lose the trust and respect of the world if we just abandon those fundamental principles which guided the men and women who built the greatness of this country and Commonwealth. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future. It has always been easy to hate and destroy. To build and to cherish is much more difficult. In the old days, the monarch led his soldiers on the battlefield and his leadership at all times was close and personal. Today, things are very different. I cannot lead you into battle I do not give you laws or administer justice, but I can do something else. I can give you my heart and my devotion to these old islands and to all the peoples. I believe in our qualities and in our strength. I believe that together we can set an example to the world. I hope that 1958 may bring you God's blessing and all the things you long for. There are a great many things which we did not know about the Queen. She may have had a great many strongly held, well-considered personal opinions about a great many matters, but we never knew what they were. But that is not the case about her faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout her long reign, she has been consistently open about what she believes and this has been made most clear in her Christmas broadcasts, where she has spoken of Jesus Christ as an inspiration, a role model, and an anchor in her life. It was also something which the Right Reverend Peter Eagles, Lord Bishop of Sodron Man and leader of the Church of England on the island, spoke of when I asked him for his reactions to the death of Queen Elizabeth. I suppose, no matter how much you know that something like that is going to happen. When it comes, it, it is a surprise and, and it is a shock. I think one of my first reactions, I suppose, in all, all honesty, was was a sense of fulfilment, really, that this life that had lasted so long, this reign that had lasted so long, came to a conclusion really, really quite suddenly, but perhaps there were blessings in that. Perhaps there was less suffering than there sometimes is at the end of life. 
And I thought also there was a sort of appropriateness in, in her last public gesture, really, being appointing a, a new prime minister. In such a public and representative role, there has to be a sense in which one's views about everything are not always w- widely known. But clearly, her Christian faith was such a significant and absolute part of, of, of her life. And not just her life, but her understanding of monarchy, her understanding of human authority as derived from the authority of God. And also, I would suggest, to her understanding of, of Christian marriage. And we reflect that it's not that long ago that she was widowed and we saw her in her own grief and sadness. So all of those things deeply informed, clearly, by her Christian faith, to the extent that, as 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 we say, she she reflected on it really on many, many public occasions and and particularly so in the latter years of her reign as well, years which I think were characterised in public life by uncertainty, by turbulence, by fear through Covid and the economic crisis and, and other things and to be able to hold on to things and give that steadfastness that came from her faith through that was a wonderful gift and the fact that she spoke of it so so often, so compellingly was indeed deeply inspiring. To celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, composer Thomas Hewitt Jones was commissioned by the Royal School of Church Music to write a new choral piece. The result is called In His Service and has been sung by choirs, soloists, ensembles and in schools the length and breadth of the country. The melody is new, but all the words are taken from speeches given by Her Majesty and conclude with these words, A life lived ever in God's service, through all the darkest times, a faithful child of God throughout the years of life and in eternity, a vow of love.
in his service composed by Thomas Hewitt Jones to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. The Queen was extraordinarily respectful of other people and a constant champion of the ordinary citizen. In a Christmas broadcast in 1980, she said, As I go about the country and abroad, I meet many people who, all in their own ways, are making a real contribution to their community. I come across examples of unselfish service in all walks of life and in many unexpected places, and I include all those who don't realise that they deserve thanks and are content that what they do is unseen and unrewarded. The very act of living a decent and upright life is in itself a positive factor in maintaining civilised standards. In conclusion, the Queen said, You don't have to be rich or powerful in order to change things for the better, and each of us, in our own way, can make a contribution. She has also said that she considers it presumptuous to talk of the faith of other people, going on to say, Jesus Christ has taught me to respect the faith of others and those of no faith. It's well known that when she was in residence on the Sandringham estate, it was quite usual for her to join the local congregation of Sandringham Church for the Sunday service. She would arrive unannounced via a side door without any fuss or ceremony and often didn't sit in the special seat which only the monarch can occupy, but would simply slip into one of the pews. She wasn't there for effect or to be seen. She was there because she wanted to be there. Similarly, she didn't have to invite a different church minister every weekend to spend time there with her family. But she did, and one of those bishops invited to Sandringham was our own Bishop Peter. The uh, more significant encounters have been since I was appointed to this role, with the opportunity to preach at Sandringham at the beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic, and to spend some time at Sandringham on that occasion. So I have been privileged to have a number of encounters. That one a couple of years ago, perhaps, was the most substantial and profound. Was it absolutely terrifying? It, it could have been, but it wasn't. And, and therein lies the gift, really. In the end, it's one human being to another. But I have heard that the Queen's desire was always really to put you at ease. Really, her overall intention was to get to know you. Did you feel that there was a sense that, that Her Majesty wanted you to be at ease? Very much so. That was apparent from the beginning of that visit. You know, if there's anything that one would want to do as a, as a bishop or as a priest or as a Christian minister, it's simply to exemplify and represent that word of God, whether we're preaching it actually in a sermon or whether we're living it in our behaviour. So to be able to do it really in any context, I think one just has to be open to the grace of God. And that's what, you know, that's what I prayed for on that occasion. And actually, do you know, I believe it was forthcoming. The Queen didn't have to mention her belief in Jesus Christ and her trust in God in her Christmas broadcasts to the world, but she did, and it would always be the climax of her message. Two of the strongest themes to which she would return very frequently were forgiveness and loving our neighbour. In 2011, she said, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, History teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. 
it can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. And this is a conviction that the Queen has clearly tried to live out in her own life. You know, if you've lived that long and you've lived through war and you remember your country being at war and indeed you were part of it, and yet at the same time you have an international and global role to play, then there is a sense in which you can't not forgive, you can't retain grudges. You have to to look for the best in human nature and to hope and imagine that that best may triumph over human failure and, and indeed over evil and where there has been evil and where there has been disappointment, to be able to forgive that, to, to come up above it and still to exemplify those things around hope. That's just really important. And again, I suppose when a when a human life comes to an end, no matter how long or how short it's been, you know, there's that, that phrase we sometimes say, you know, life's too short. Well, life is short, actually, even if it's 96 years, it will pass quickly. And it is too short for us to bear grudges or to nurse unhappiness or hurt or hatred of, of others. And I think there's a generosity of nature that we saw there in Her Late Majesty, which again, can be a source of inspiration and encouragement to us all. She has led the country through some of its greatest and darkest moments with grace, strength and faith. And even though her position as our Queen created an understandable separation from her people, the heart-wrenching image of her sitting completely alone at the funeral of her beloved husband of some 74 years spoke more eloquently than any words of her solidarity with every person in a similar situation, prevented by the Covid restrictions of the time from having the support of family or friends when it was most needed. To celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday, the Bible Society the charity Hope in Our Villages, Towns and Cities and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity collaborated to produce a beautiful book for which the Queen graciously agreed to provide the foreword. In it, she wrote, In the last 90 years, the extent and pace of change has been truly remarkable. We have witnessed triumphs and tragedies. Our world has enjoyed great advances in science and technology, but it has also endured war, conflict and terrible suffering on an unprecedented scale. In my first Christmas broadcast in 1952, the Queen wrote, I asked the people of the Commonwealth and Empire to pray for me as I prepared to dedicate myself to their service at my coronation. I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. I invite you to join me in reflecting on the words of a poem quoted by my father, King George VI, in his Christmas Day broadcast in 1939, the year that this country went to war for the second time in a quarter of a century. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness, and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light, and safer than a known way.
Reverend Dr. Janet Corlett, who leads the Methodist Church on the island, has been away this week at the General Assembly of the World Council of Churches, but sent us this message. On Thursday, I was travelling by train from Germany back to London, keeping my eye on the news. I was very much aware that there were concerns for the Queen's health, but I was so sure she would pull through. She's always been such a strong woman. I was expecting her to live past a hundred, like her mother. So I was really shocked when I heard. Then I thanked God that she died peacefully, surrounded by her family. And then I thought, now she's free at last to be herself. She's probably truly relieved to be laying down her heavy burdens and ready to rest at peace in the tender care of the Good Shepherd. Reverend Janet went on to say, Responding to the death of Queen Elizabeth, Lord of Man, there'll be a special service of prayer and reflection at Trinity Methodist Church at Rosemount, here in Douglas, this coming Tuesday evening at half past seven. The service, to which everyone is most welcome, will be led by Reverend Janet and Reverend Richard Hooten, with organist Gareth Moore. Monsignor John Devine is the senior Roman Catholic priest and leader of the island's Catholic community. I met him on Friday afternoon and asked for his reaction to the news of the Queen's death. I think I absorbed it yesterday and, uh, and I was sad, but it was when I, I woke up this morning and I thought it was business as usual and then I suddenly realised the Queen had died and everything was going to be different. You know, a presence I'd taken for granted. I mean, I, I recall very clearly the day the King died. I remember being at home with my mother. The big thing was I can remember the, the voice coming out of the radio saying the king is dead. I can remember that. And then they shut down everything. There wasn't this continuous broadcast. But the big thing was they cancelled Listen With Mother on the radio. You know, Daphne Oxenford and all of that. So I was quite put out by that. And then I can remember my father coming home in the evening and me saying to him, Daddy, Daddy, the king's dead. And he said, yes, I know. And I was, I was really disappointed that he already knew. And then we fast forward then to the coronation of the queen. I still hadn't started school. I had three sisters. They were all at school. So they all got coronation mugs. But because I wasn't at school, I wasn't going to get a coronation mug. So I remember my mother actually sent off, I think you could send off to Fry's chocolate or something. So I've also got a coronation mug. So there are four in one of my sister's houses. But yes, I, I mean, I've been pondering about the Queen, really. The, the thing that struck me about her is that she's a woman of faith. I, I'm a Roman Catholic. You could say that, that Roman Catholics are traditionally about smells and bells and stuff. But actually, the Queen's faith was a fairly austere evangelical faith, certainly not charismatic. And she didn't wear it on her sleeve. It wasn't a sentimental faith. It was a kind of a firm faith that she didn't manipulate people. You know, I liked her approach to life in general. She always quite openly made use of her Christmas message to put something across, but there was always a point. She talked a lot about forgiveness. She talked about looking out for our neighbours. She often mentioned the good that people do mm. that they don't even talk about. It was very practical. She was a good model of, of how to live your faith in a pluralist society. I mean, her faith informed everything she did. And when she spoke about it, it wasn't to, to convert the nation, but she made very clear that it was what motivated her. 
And I, I liked it because it was unsentimental. I mean, I can identify with that because I, I'm, I'm not terribly into piosity. That's not my style. But I'd like to think my faith is grounded. And I, I think where there was genuine need or genuine hurt or, you know, times of tragedy, she would respond to that in her own way. But she wasn't a gusher. And I think that came out with, with Diana, that kind of outpouring was totally alien to her character. And, and people read into that that she didn't care, but she did. The thing is that I think the world has changed. You know, standards in public life have eroded. And she was there for the, you know, the simple things that you do the job you're meant to do. You do it day in and day out. You don't expect any incredible reward for it. And she didn't make a song and dance about stuff, which I kind of liked. What do you think now about the future? Mm. King Charles is going to be required to cope with a very different world, isn't he? He is, and it's, it's a world that's governed by you know, opinion polls and, you know, likes and cancel culture and all the rest of it, that everybody's looking beyond themselves for, for approbation and approval rather than, you know, operating from inner conviction. My impression of Prince Charles, he is a man of convictions, You've got to have a head of state, and to separate the head of state from the politicians is probably healthy because we give our allegiance to the state. But certainly, you know, the Queen was outstanding, Queen Elizabeth. Whether she was Queen or whether she was Lady President, she would have been equally effective. Like the military and the judiciary and those institutions owe their allegiance to the Crown, not to the comings and goings of, of politicians.
O Thou Who Camest From Above. That was another of the hymns included in the service of prayer and reflection for the life of Queen Elizabeth II, held in St Paul's Cathedral on Friday evening. Let's listen to some more from that service. The address is given by the Bishop of London, the Right Reverend Sarah Mullally. The UK Prime Minister, Liz Truss, reads from St Paul's letter to the Romans and prayers at the start and at the end are led by the Dean-designate of St Paul's Cathedral, the Very Reverend Andrew Tremlett. Eternal Lord God, you hold all souls in life. Send forth, we pray, upon your servant Elizabeth and upon your whole church in earth and heaven the brightness of your light and peace. And grant that we, following the good example of those who have faithfully served you here and are now at rest, may at the last enter with them into the fullness of eternal joy. In Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. The Prime Minister, with a reading from the Book of Romans. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. A life lived in the service of others is a rare jewel. It is a jewel that Her Late Majesty the Queen wore as a crown. Today we gather in this cathedral church with those across our nation, the Commonwealth and the world, with a profound sadness as we mourn her death. In doing so, we mark and celebrate the life which was dedicated to others. Her Majesty's sense of vocation and calling was not something she could pick up and put down again. It was deeply embedded in her understanding of herself. In the spirit of our reading from St. Paul's letters to the Romans, she did not live to herself nor has she died to herself. As a Christian, I believe that death is not the end. That gives me hope, even in the worst of times, 
To speak of hope is not to deny the fear, the loss and the anguish which death brings. We have the assurance of God's presence in the world's pain and a model for our response to human suffering. God is there for us and we are called to be there for others. Her Majesty had a remarkable Christian faith about which she had increasingly spoken in recent years, referring to Jesus Christ as her anchor and role model. The depth, the breadth, and the generosity of Her Majesty's self-giving in service was an extraordinary gift. And I am certain it has gladdened God's heart. No words can encompass how much we owe Her Late Majesty the Queen. She will be profoundly and greatly missed. My prayers are with the royal family at this time, that they may know in the midst of their loss that underneath are the everlasting arms. In a moment, we'll hear again from King Charles. But before that, Bishop Peter offers us some final thoughts. At this point, I would really want to offer a couple of thoughts, really. One is is just deep gratitude, deep gratitude for what has been. And to let all of that settle and take its course. And we will continue to reflect on it for, for years to come. And also, you know, to pray clearly for our new sovereign, our new king, who steps into role at a, an odd sort of time, but brings deep gifts and deep, deep wisdom into that role. And I hope and pray most earnestly, really, that, that, that his reign will be as graced and as blessed as that of his mother. The role and the duties of monarchy also remain, as does the sovereign's particular relationship and responsibility towards the Church of England, the church in which my own faith is so deeply rooted. In that faith and the values it inspires, I have been brought up to cherish a sense of duty to others and to hold in the greatest respect the precious traditions freedoms and responsibilities of our unique history and our system of parliamentary government. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love 
as I have throughout my life. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late Papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. John Taverner's Song for Athene, the musical setting of the poignant words of William Shakespeare, which King Charles addressed to his beloved mother at the end of his first speech delivered last Friday evening. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. You're listening to an At Your Service special programme giving thanks for the life and faithful witness of Her Late Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, Our Lord of Man. 
As is the case with all our special coverage of the death of the Queen, this programme is available as a podcast via our website, manxradio.com. I'll be back in the studio tonight at nine with Sundown, and I do hope you can join me then. But until whenever we meet, this is Judith saying thank you for listening, and I wish you and those you love a truly blessed and peaceful week. And our last words this morning can surely come from only one person. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. But for now, I send my thanks and warmest good wishes to you all. God.